0: Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders.
1: I'm Heather. And
0: I'm Dylan. <laughs> and it's Christmas time.
1: It is. And we are approaching our one year anniversary. We dropped our very first Mountain Murders podcast episode December 28th, 2018. This month marks our one year anniversary podcasting. Oh my God, that's very exciting! It is very exciting. For this, we want to bring you guys 12 days of Christmas. Celebrate. We have set ourselves a goal. We are going to pump out 12 episodes (laughs) in the month of December.
0: That's a lofty goal.
1: Not all are going to be true crime.
0: No, we're going to mix it up a little bit.
1: These are just some extra bonus episodes to say thank you for supporting us one year in. And we hope to keep growing.
0: Yeah, and um, we're surprised at... How many people have tried us out and gave us a try and listened and the people that listen weekly. So, yeah, we're amazed to still be doing this, I think.
1: I have to say for every negative criticism we get, we have like 12 positives. Right. But we did get a great review on Apple and it it. tickled me so much. I had to post it on Instagram. Someone described us as Siskel and Ebert. With Tourette's, and they misspelled Tourette's.
0: Don't you love the internet? Well, if you're
1: going to take time to write a scathing review. Right. And insult people, at least make sure that it's grammatically correct and right. spelled correctly. Please. Especially coming from me.
0: Just because I we're going to make fun of you spelling I like it incorrectly.
1: 15 years of journalism experience. Yeah. I studied writing in college. You can't. You can't do that. I'm gonna make fun of you.
0: Well, here's the thing. You're, <laughs> you're, 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 you've took the time, which is fine. That's what reviews are for. It's not so much that I'm gonna be like, I really didn't like this strongly enough that I'm gonna go leave a review. Yeah, I'm just okay. not
1: gonna listen to it again, but.
0: Well, that's what I do. I move on. Oh, I didn't right. like those people and I do that more than I find one that I like. Right. Which is fine. There's a lot out there. So you can really shop around and find what you like fine. But you're doing that on a little mini computer in your hand and You don't take the time to spell check, which is insane to me.
1: Well, I think it's funny. But also, apparently, we use more foul language than the movie Deadpool.
0: Which I thought, And it would be
1: much more tolerable if we just didn't cuss so much. So I just want to take a moment to perform a little, like, Jay and Silent Bob routine here. Okay. Here's my Tourette's. Motherfuck, motherfuck, cock, cock, cock. Motherfuck, motherfuck, twat, twat, twat. Do you like that?
0: Hey! Hey! Let's get that out of the way up front. Yeah. Okay. Air five. Motherfucker! Yeah. Cocksucker! Yeah.
1: Your mom's a bitch!
0: What the fuck?
1: Yeah. Okay. Say, okay. So we got that out.
0: Okay. I feel better. I hope I, I offended
1: someone. This episode is like a bonus, a gift to you guys. We're going to be talking about some ghosts and legends in Appalachia. Ooh. Are you excited? I am. Now, some of these are gonna come directly from books. We have Asheville Ghosts and Legends by Ken Trailer and Dallas M. House Jr. We also have Ghosts of the Southern Mountains in Appalachia by Nancy Roberts. Growing up, I loved Nancy Roberts' ghost stories. Really? We had multiple copies of her books in my elementary school library, and I read all of them. Ghosts of the Mountains, at the North Carolina Coast. She has all of the Southern Ghost Stories locked down. Wow. I've chosen a few good ones. Are you ready to get started, Dylan?
0: I am. I am very ready.
1: We're going to talk about the ghost of Thomas Wolfe. Ooh. Thomas Wolfe was one of the world's greatest writers. Born in 1900 in Asheville, North Carolina, he was raised in his parents' home known as Old Kentucky Home. His mother, Julia Wolf, operated the house as a boarding home for all the summer people who came to the mountains to beat the sweltering heat of the low country along the coastal area of the Carolinas. And we're very close to Asheville. We know we have a lot of those summer people. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and now they've started buying houses here. So not only do we get them in the summer, but we get them year-round.
0: Oh, yeah, and then they instantly want to change the place like the place that they come from.
1: Yeah, we won't get into all the politics of that, but... uh, (laughs) Which is weird. Originally constructed in 1883, the home was a large Queen Anne-style edifice and contained 29 rooms for boarders. This is a big house.
0: That's a big house, even though I'm sure a lot of the rooms were tiny back then.
1: Wolfe wrote unkindly of his childhood in the book Look Homeward, Angel. His autobiographical novel describes tormented youth... Named Eugene Gant, growing up in a dingy Dixieland boarding house in the town of Altamont in the state of Catawba. Okay. But very much rooted in his life. Right? Okay. In 1925, while returning home from a voyage to Europe, he met Aileen Bernstein, a successful set and costume designer for the New York theater community. They began a very passionate and turbulent love affair, which endured until 1930. Wolf began writing Look Homeward Angel in 1926, and his first novel was published in 1929 to much uproar. The novel suffered criticism from some of the more prominent citizens of Asheville whom Wolf had depicted in a not so endearing light. Uh
0: oh. In late 1938,
1: while on vacation out west, Thomas came down with pneumonia. Doctors were perplexed with the you, you know the unusual complications, right? And how they had developed. He was admitted to John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, and during a surgery on September 12th, it was discovered that the entire right side of his brain was covered with tuberculosis. Oh gosh. Nothing else could be done for Wolf, and he passed away September fifteenth, basically in a coma. He never regained a consciousness.
0: Oh, that's sad.
1: So he was returned to Asheville and buried at Riverside Cemetery. We have been to the Thomas Wolfe grave.
0: We have. That's a very nice cemetery.
1: It's very nice, and not only is Thomas Wolf buried there, but O. Henry, another prominent Asheville writer. Oh,
0: Henry. And
1: especially with the Christmas holiday coming up, the Gift of the Magi. Wow. A great short story.
0: Okay, they, uh, there was a gay bar in Asheville called O Henry's for a while.
1: Well, yeah. There is a large stone angel that was placed upon his gravesite, but vandals kept trying to steal it and remove it, and there was like a lot of damage that took place. And a woman in Hendersonville, which is about twenty-five miles south of Asheville, purchased the angel after it was offered for sale by the estate of Thomas Wolfe, and that look homeward angel um, monument. Yeah, if you will, statue is in I believe it's called Oakdale Cemetery in Hendersonville, and they have a fence like a gate around it. Really, it's fenced. Um, and I've been there, I've seen it.
0: Oh, I want to go I took see it.
1: Photos, it's really cute. Okay, you know, is it big? Uh, yeah, it's pretty. I Fifteen mean, it's, foot. No, I'm not gonna say it's that big. Okay, but uh, you know, it's nice. In his 20s, Wolf would sometimes spend weekends at the Battery Park Hotel in Asheville because they had bathrooms in each room. Hello. A luxury not often found in those days. He enjoyed taking a private bath for as long as he desired instead of being rushed in one of those community bathrooms in his mom's boarding house.
0: Oh, I bet that was nice.
1: To this day, it is reported from time to time at the Battery Park Apartments that a bathtub is found to be filling up with water when no one was responsible for turning it on. Wow. One can only imagine that Wolf is still enjoying the luxury he treated himself to many years ago at the hotel. Wolf's boyhood home is now a museum. It reopened again to the public in 2004 after a teenage arsonist burned down Part of the building in 1998.
0: Why are they out to get Tommy like that? The
1: state of North Carolina operates the museum, and you can go take a tour. They have daily tours. However, the best tours are not given by tour guides, but are given by Thomas Wolfe himself. Even though he intensely disliked the home, he has apparently returned to a place that was familiar in life. It has been frequently reported that he is seen in and around the house, mostly late at night, he also has been seen sitting in one of the rooms at a typewriter, diligently typing away at another novel that can only, um, you know, the imagination can can run with what he might be typing up there.
0: Yeah, so it's going to be pretty good. It
1: is a novel that we will probably never be able to enjoy, but again...
0: You never know.
1: In your mind.
0: Wait till we get the ability to talk to ghosts directly.
1: The legend goes that a caretaker who once worked at the house many years ago was doing a task down on the ground level of the home one evening when suddenly a storage room door burst open. Startled, the man spun around to see who was behind him. There was no one that was obvious to his gaze standing there. So after shutting the door, he had most certainly been convinced it was blown by a gust of wind or something. He goes back, you know, about his day finishing up his work. About two minutes later, the door springs open again, this time slamming against the wall. The caretaker grabs a hammer he had been using, steps toward the opening, knowing, you know, not if there is an intruder on the property, doesn't really know what's going on. The caretaker meant, you know, to defend himself. That's why he grabbed this hammer. Right. Shaking from fear of what he was about to see, he decided that charging the opening and yelling at the top of his voice would throw the intruder off balance. So he races to the opening, screaming at the top of his lungs only to be met with darkness and whatever odds and ends were stored there. Spinning around and round, so as not to be attacked from behind, he became even more frightened from what was not there. Who had done this? What was the motive? Where had they gone? These were some of the questions that spun through his head right after the event. What he came to realize later was that there had been no one there, there was no gust of wind to open the door, and he wasn't going crazy. Nevertheless, the event had been as real as anything could possibly be. He decided that he would keep his story to himself until he had some more evidence to confirm his new belief that someone had visited him from the spirit world.
0: Wow. How would you react in that situation? Would you be totally freaked out or would you just be like, Oh, yeah, another ghost encounter? Who cares?
1: Yeah, probably. I would go with B.
0: (laughs) I would be, uh, I would be definitely be unnerved. Yeah, that'd be, I mean, that's pretty weird. You know, a door flinging open to the point where you're startled. To where you grab a weapon up to protect yourself?
1: About a week later, he was working on the main floor of the home after closing time when, within a five-minute period, about 12 events occurred in rapid succession.
0: What the hell?
1: First, all the lights on the floor began to flicker on and off, followed closely by two windows opening and closing. Then the doors were opened and closed in rapid order. Next, several toilets were flushed, followed by the faucets in those bathrooms being turned on, Finally, right next to where the man was standing, a potted plant moved about six inches. The entire process, in the same exact order, repeated itself. By this time, the man was sitting on the floor, back against the wall, praying for mercy, and hoping that this event was soon going to cease. When it finally and mercifully ended, the man looked like he had not slept in many days, his eyes red and puffy, his whole body quivering, he was sweating profusely. After composing himself, he calmly got up and walked out of the house, leaving behind all of his tools and never returned to the home again. Wow. When in Asheville, you can tour through the old Queen Anne-style home, but beware that if you feel a cold chill... And there's no source for that cold chill. It could be one of America's greatest writers just trying to say hello.
0: Wow, he's pretty a uh, pretty strong uh, presence there, doing all that, right? Yeah, I mean it's that's like pretty, a, pretty powerful.
1: Was it like a trickery?
0: Yeah, maybe like, it's because he was a, a strong presence in life,
1: like a like a trickery trick trickery ghost. Uh huh. <laughs> uh
0: uh-huh. There's a banana peel. Oh, yeah. you slipped.
1: Yeah, so that's the Thomas Wolfe ghost story out of Asheville, North Carolina.
0: I bet you could find more examples of that.
1: You probably. If you were to talk people
0: in and around the the home there.
1: Good. Now we're going to move on to a story by Nancy Roberts from Ghosts of the Southern Mountains and Appalachia. We're going to be talking about the haunted copper mine in Ducktown, Tennessee. Okay. Jack McCullough had worked in the mines all of his life, and as his friends used to say, there ain't much Jack's afeard of. Like every man who worked in the mines, Jack lived with danger, but he knew how to handle it better than most, or so everyone thought. The Ducktown Copper Mines were on the Georgia-Tennessee border, and they were only, some of the only places that a man could really make good money back in the day, because this is the late 1890s. Jack was working a tunnel about 400 feet down one day when a bunch of men got really scared. One of the engines failed that ran both the air pump, which pushed the fresh air through the mine.
0: That's a big deal.
1: And the wooden elevator that brought men up from the shafts, also not working. The miners ran toward the shaft and began scurrying up the steel wire ladder that hung on the solid rock wall, climbing from level to level. Wow. They were all crowded around the base of the ladder, and some were pushing and shoving. Just as McCullough's turn came to go up it, a panic-stricken old man thrust in ahead of him, and McCullough stood aside, letting him go up first. Jack was the last man to go up the ladder. Later, his fellow miners talked about it, and when one of the mine officials asked him if it were true, he just said, well, we couldn't all climb that ladder at once. Someone always has to be last. Wow. So, seeming like he has a positive attitude about it.
0: That's a a man right
1: there. A few months later, Jack McCullough was working about 400 feet down in the mine when he went to the end of one of the tunnels that had been blasted the day before in a pocket of rich, copper-bearing ore. By the light of the lamp on his cap, he began to pick up large chunks of the ore and load his mine car with the blasted-down rock. He had been loading the car for almost an hour when he heard a peculiar hissing sound, as if air were escaping from the pipe. The pipes brought the life-saving fresh air under heavy pressure along the tunnels. The sound grew louder, and he began to think it might come down from the water running down one side of the tunnel. So I guess he kind of got a little concerned. As he did, he was so aware of the change in the sound that it started like no longer hissing, But it wasn't really the noise of the running water either, and it was just becoming more and more eerie.
0: I would be freaked out. I mean, you're already working in a damn mine hundreds of feet below. Simple tech, not very simple technologies. I mean, his for all I guess his cap was probably maybe even gas fueled or something, not even like a light light, you know, electric light. So, yeah, I mean, that's very unnerving, let alone when weird stuff starts happening.
1: Well, it was like a chorus of sobbing and moaning in unison, and he recognized human voices. Somehow, he knew it was the voices of all the miners who had died in this mine, and their cries were so loud, they seemed to surround and overwhelm him. His hands became clammy, his face beaded with sweat, and he didn't wait to finish loading the mine car, but pushed the car to the shaft as quickly as possible. The wailing seemed to follow him all the way to the skip. He rode the skip up, dumped his oar, and went to the surface boss and told him he'd heard the cries of all the men who had ever been killed in this mine. The face of the man who had been unafraid... Just turned the color of ash. The boss looked at him and paid him off, nor did McCullough ever go back to work in the Isabella Copper Mine at Ducktown again.
0: So he would had enough of that. So
1: he's like, show, the, show me the money, bitch. Bitch better have my money. And then he bolted out of the mine and was oh, like, fuck this shit.
0: I'm sorry. You should say the foreman better have my money, the company, anything but bitch.
1: Well, we know how I roll, (laughs) this is why I'm self-employed, and I operate a podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's why you have pay me tattooed, pay me bitch tattooed on your hand. Do I? You should, you've talked about it. No, but I do
1: have trust no bitch tattooed under my titty.
0: That's true, I've seen that.
1: I got that under tit tattoo.
0: I've seen that one. I do
1: have the trust no bitch, and under the other boobie, I'm thinking about getting fuck you pay me. Yeah, Okay. I think I've told you that before. Yeah. It, yeah. Well,
0: I? no, you're just gonna put Sep Dillon under the other, other titty.
1: Uh, no, I didn't.
0: Say yeah, that. we agreed to that.
1: No, you agreed to that. Well, I think it's uh, proper. Oh my God, are we bullshitting? Oh, oh my God. No. Like our review, we're taking a 15 minute podcast and turning it into 30 minutes with our bullshit. Karn, oh my God. Let's drop some f bombs. Carn okay. swarn it.
0: I'm gonna stick with frontier gibberish from henceforth. Are you? Yeah. Carn like, oh, flick flap
1: flap. The scallywags. (laughs) I'll just start using old, like, semen language. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, old semen. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Nautical terms. Yeah. We're going to talk about the woman in black from the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee.
0: Man, I've been scared to death if I was down in that mine. I'm, that one right there kind of creeped me out. You
1: start hearing that was a little scarier than the Thomas Wolfe story.
0: I even, oh yeah, yeah. Could you imagine? No. Okay, so now I'm
1: claustrophobic, so I don't want to yeah. go in any kind of tight space, like oh, a dude. mine shaft.
0: Even today, anything
1: underground, nah, it's not for me, bro.
0: To this day, those mine carts that are developed, you know, are real low to the ground, and they they cut these shafts as small as possible for obvious, you know, cost reasons and things. These these destabilization and all that. And so these guys, I mean, and, and I'm sure some women too, these people, these miners, I just can't imagine that type of life We're doing that day in, day out. No. you got all the hazards. There's
1: why this is not going to work. One, I watched Coal Miner's Daughter from an early age, and I did right. not want to be like Loretti's daddy and die in that mine. Leavon Helm I know, died when he was like 49 in that movie or some shit. Yeah,
0: and and that really happened, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> The Black Lung. The Black
0: Lung. And yeah. you can't get away from the Black Lung.
1: Then as a child, Scooby-Doo, the episode with the Miner 49er. Oh, my God. They're being terrorized by the Miner and the mine shaft, And, of course, Scooby and Shaggy are in the mine cart, and it's like a roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's that was whimsical. still... freaked me out, dude.
0: Well, yeah. Mines are scary.
1: I don't want no mine. <sighs> and the claustrophobia part. Ugh. Like, over in Tennessee, in Chattanooga, you can go see Rock City and all that. and there's have yeah, like, never the seen Ruby Rock Falls, City. And you can go, like... In the cavern, and it's, like, underground and all. No! I'm not going to do that.
0: I've been in Limville caverns.
1: I would... See, that would... I would have a panic attack. I think it sounds cool, but the thought of going underground... Right. ...and being in a space like that, and it could cave in... I don't know. It really freaks me the fuck out.
0: Well, it's just one of those areas where humans aren't supposed to be. Yeah. Deep in the earth. At the bottom of the ocean. What did you
1: think about Linville Caverns?
0: Um, I mean, well, I was fairly small. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think I went there and we went and watched Jaws. So, dun, isn't that at Grandfather Mountain? Dun, dun. That was a big day for yeah, us. Yeah,
1: Linville Gorge is up near like the Boone area. Near okay. Grandfather Mountain.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, so we were just doing having this big fun of the day. North Carolina. And, mountains. uh,. Yeah, it was. Uh, I remember it being incredible because it was rather open rooms. You know, you kind of work, work, and everything was very um, obvious walkways and safety rails, so it didn't feel as you know. I could only imagine going off into new uncharted parts of a mine. But then they had the um, the pools and the stela- stalactites. Is that right? Yeah. And all that was very cool. And they had like albino fish in the pool. They'd never seen water, or never seen sunlight. Rather,
1: this is where you should put your your. Little veal cows.
0: (laughs) Yes, this is where you should keep them chained to the wall so they can't move and develop muscle muscle
1: tissue. Oh, yeah, okay. Isn't that horrible? Now, I did go to Lake Tahoe, and there was some road we were driving out of where they almost had, like, these tunnels that were built into the mountain. And I remember driving through, and the stalactites were kind of hanging from the ceiling of this tunnel. Yeah. And that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's pretty... I mean, it feels very prehistoric. You know what I mean? It's like you're glimpsing something that developed over so many years. It's pretty amazing.
1: Wow. Plan your next vacation, y'all.
0: Yep. Let's do it. But yeah, that was scary.
1: The Woman in Black. And you know, this is kind of a story that I feel like I've heard a lot about, is a woman in black or like a woman in white. There seems to be a lot of apparitions in ghost stories, not just in the Smoky Mountains, but kind of worldwide. Right. Where people see this vision of, like, a woman in black or a woman in white.
0: Yeah, and some might argue that that's their own mind's, you know, perception of what this thing might be, projecting it, maybe, or maybe it's just a a lot of women in black coming back.
1: Maybe it's just a bunch of goth chicks.
0: Maybe they're just, like... Yeah.
1: They take time from hanging out at the cemetery. It's
0: like the sisters.
1: Yeah, like the black sisters. Yeah. Or like me and my friends. Okay. Yeah, totally. So we're going to talk about the woman in black, Smoky Mountains, Tennessee. At first, Isla Jeffers thought she was feverish and puny feeling because of birthing Jenny Sue. She was glad midwife Granny Moss had come back by the house to check on her and felt all the more grateful since they lived up a ways in the cove. Right. So they're kind of far back.
0: Didn't get a lot of visitors up through there. Way I'm sure. back in
1: the holler. Granny had always delivered babies and she'd been doing it, you know, probably 30 plus years. Very experienced woman. The midwife turned up with a kerosene lamp and her knowledgeable eyes stared hard at Isla who lay there in the iron bed, her face white as the muslin sheet, her beautiful shoulder-length silky black hair uncombed and tangled. Granny was worried. Your color ain't good, honey. I was looking to find you just as chipper as you were after your last youngin'. Remember how when I come by here spectin' to see you line up in the bed and you was out puttin' taters in the, in the room the very next afternoon? And so they talk a little bit about how, you know, she's just not feeling too good. She's feeling kinda of puny. Granny untied a bandana and had a clear drugstore vial with some pills and herbs. Oh. inside. hey. I want you to take just a smidgen of this in a cup of hot tea every hour, Isla. This is the strongest yarb I ever seed, and I was carrying some over the mountain to nail lions, but there's enough for the both of you. So, Granny puts a pinch of the yarb in a teacup, went over, got the kettle off the wood heater, poured some hot water, And then the liquid in the cup turned kind of a smoky yellow, and she hands it to Isla, placing one arm behind the slim shoulder, you know, to help the woman sit up in the bed. Would you fetch Jenny Sue for me, Granny? I hear her fussing. It's time I was nursing her. Granny went over to the walnut cradle near the stone fireplace, and as she picked up the small bundle, wrapped first in an old flour sack and then in a tiny hand-woven "'Wool Kiver,' the baby grew quiet in her practiced hands. "'I remember laying Andrew in that cradle 28 years ago. "'Where is that rascal?' "'Gone into town to buy me some aspirin.' "'You sure he didn't go after no white lightning?' (laughs) "'No, ma'am, you know Andrew, he don't drink nor cuss. "'He's a good man as any woman ever had.' Granny pressed her lips together and her head bobbled up and down in agreement. That's true. I never heard nothing but good of Andrew, and he sure were tickled about this little girl. Just walked backwards and forwards with her in his arms, wanting to hold her the whole time, calling her a little kitten. Granny, what's the matter with Jenny Sue? She's not nursing good. She's fussing like she's hungry, but turning her head away. She shouldn't be a doing that. I'm scared, Granny. You reckon my baby's sick too? Isla's blue eyes had tears in them, and her lower lip trembled. I don't know, Isla, but I'll be back this way tomorrow afternoon, and I'll look in on ye and the baby. F it don't discomfort you there, Granny, Isla said, looking at her gratefully. Granny hadn't gone over a mile before she met Andrew in his pickup truck. He waved to her to stop. She pulled over in her old Plymouth car and got out on the side of the road, and he could read her face and said, well, she's pretty bad off, ain't she, Granny, and His eyes look kind of anguished. She says, well, it's Chansey. We'll just have to wait and see. And he said, yeah, we'll wait and see. Now, if you could get Dr. Curry to come up here. Andrew says, well, I went by his place and he went to Asheville and won't be back until late tomorrow afternoon. Uh, Can't you get her any help? Well, I left her some medicine, Andy. I'm going to stop to see Isla on my way back from Union Camp area. But she didn't get back the next day because Nell Lyons went into labor and the baby didn't arrive until late that night. She stayed on at the Lyons' house two more days, which Granny almost never did, but Nell was quite weak. Will Lyons was mighty good with cattle, but he didn't know much about birth and no babies. <laughs> 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 the next morning after Granny left... Will was down at the barn before daylight milking the cows. As it began to grow light, he was surprised to see the slim figure of a woman in a black dress silhouetted against the doorway of the barn. Her features were not visible in the semi-darkness, and there was nothing familiar about her appearance. When he spoke, she held her head down and didn't make any replies. Then she was standing beside him, noticing the woman had this cup in her hand. He was like, "'Do you want some milk?' She held it out as if she wanted it filled, and then she left, but she didn't thank him or say a word. Early next morning, about the same time, she came into the barn once more. Good morning, he said, but she didn't reply. Now, would you be weirded out by this? Some woman in black just rolls up in your barn with her cup out. And be like, what is this? Socialist America bitch? Get oh yeah,
0: no, that's not gonna work for me. Get your own milk. Yeah,
1: what are you doing around here? <laughs> Let them nipples go. do <laughs> <laughs> will be like, who the fuck are you supposed to be? <laughs> I ain't scared. Once more, he filled up her cup. Yeah, I bet he did. And he (laughs) thought he saw her nod gratefully, but still she didn't speak. She didn't say anything. Blackberry winter was what the mountain folk called this unseasonably cold weather in May. And because of that, he took notice that she didn't have on a coat over her dress. He told Nell about it when he went back to the house. And she said it might be one of the neighbor girls come over because their cow had gone dry.
0: Ah. Okay, well,
1: man, wouldn't that suck?
0: Feeding him for that cream.
1: My cow died. Uh oh, it's all dried up and <laughs> dead. I ain't got no cow.
0: I ain't got. Well, that's a big deal. It's a
1: hard knock life. At the little cabin on the other side of the mountain, Isla seemed to be a little stronger the evening after Granny Moss had left her the herbs. Andrew prepared steaming hot tea for her, and each time she drank it, she would say she felt better. The baby, however, was still not nursing the way she had it first. And his wife kind of thought Andrew should go fetch the doctor as soon as he could in the morning. Isla herself had taken a turn for the worse by the next morning. She was flushed, feverish, tossing, moaning, delirious, couldn't even hold her baby. The little baby is now laying listfully in the cradle. Why wasn't Granny Moss back? That morning, Andrew drove down the road a piece thinking he might see her. And make sure she could come up to the cabin, but there was no sign of Granny. He couldn't find her anywhere. When he returned, he first thought his wife was asleep. Then he realized she was dead.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Within an hour, the baby girl gave a little cry and breathed her last.
0: Oh, damn.
1: Then great, harsh sobs began to rack this thin man's shoulders, and he flung himself across the bed beside his dead wife. He must have fallen asleep for the next thing he knew. Someone was pounding on the door. It was Granny Moss and the doctor. Andrew, I thought that your wife needed him, so I went back by the way of his house and brought him. How is... Oh, you're too late, Andrew tells her. She saw the agony on his face and fell silent. Andrew stepped back to let them in, and the doctor went over to the bed first, looked down at Isla, and didn't even bother to take her pulse, and then asked, where is the baby? Hits in its crib. He picked up the limp little form and laid her back in the cradle... No doubt, this child had expired. Everybody thought that it could be something to do with a fever. A lot of people had been sick with this certain fever that had been going around, and the doctor told him that he thought they might lose more folks um, with the fever, and, you know, he was really sorry.
0: Yeah, that's as sad but as it gets.
1: The funeral was held the next afternoon in a cemetery on top of a nearby hill. Blackberry Winter was still in the area, And it was a cold, gray day. little misting of rain, you know, happening as well. It put Andrew in the mind of his father's funeral, which had been the winter before. Mm -hmm. How Isla had stood next to him, so strong and comforting, and now she was gone too, and he was all alone. The loss of the baby hurt, for they had looked forward to it together, but he had never suffered anything like the pain he felt over losing his wife. O oh death, where is thy sting? O oh grave, where is thy victory? The preacher's voice intoned, and as he heard those words pronounced to comfort so many over the years, a vast rage engulfed him. He knew Isla and their child were in heaven and beyond any more suffering, but what about him? Didn't God care anything about him? What did he, Andrew, have left? He had never felt as close to the Lord as his wife had always seemed to be, and today he didn't feel it at all. Andrew raised the collar of his overcoat up around his neck to shield himself from the wind, but the worst chill of all was inside him, and it took every ounce of his determination to keep from shaking. Lord, he felt like he was freezing to death, and it was inside of him. Damn. Will and Nell Lyons are talking about how sad it is and how bad Andrew looks. Time's a great healer, Will, said the wife, and Will wondered how some women always had a saying to cover things, no matter how bad they were. And then he remembered that even after the harshest winter, ice melts, there are warm breezes, trees bloom, spring comes, maybe his wife was right.
0: Well, I guess all those things, those sayings throughout history were just meant to bring comfort or make people feel better. I'm sure some people believe that's really how it was set up, if you will, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess if you believe in that ebb and flow of life, there's the good, the bad, you have to take it all.
0: It won't give us no more than we can handle, Will.
1: Next morning, he was going about making his milk when the cow turned her head and mooed, and he looked in that direction. There came the girl, dressed in black. She was holding out the cup just as she had done the other two occasions. Good morning, he said cheerfully, but no reply came. He didn't try to talk to her anymore, and she stood there without a word, while the only sound was that of the warm, fresh milk spurting and the ping as it hit inside the tin cup.
0: I'm going to have to get some more information from you right now. Who are you? Where are you coming from? Why are you going around? It's cold. You're dressed in black. No coat. Uh, okay. What I the- want
1: to know when you milk a cow, is it like a squishy sound? Like. Whoo!
0: Yeah, from so? what? Yeah, I think I got. Yeah, I got to do that at some point during school. I had the cat went to the little trip. You did? Yeah. Is
1: difficult? Yeah. I've never milked a cow.
0: It's harder than you think.
1: I don't know. I but feel people that like, know what did they're you doing. you ask consent? Yes. Before you touch the cow.
0: Yes. This this I cow like was you a. Can't
1: just grab the cow.
0: Very progressive cow. And. um as a straight white male, obviously, I had to make sure, even more so than others, that I did have consent.
1: Well, Good. I'm glad you did. He decided that morning he was going to follow her a distance and see if he could find out where she went. As she left the barn, he rose from his milking stool and quietly walked after her. It was a pewter gray sky now instead of black, and he could see the dark, slim form seemingly like gliding along ahead of him as they crossed over the pasture. He said he goes about 50 feet behind her and then she went through the brush around the side of Big Bear Mountain, which Will followed her the entire way. He worried that a careless step along the path might start some sort of small, um, you know, shake a rock loose or something like that and, you know, make some small noise and that he would be discovered. But right. didn't happen. The sun looked to be like it was coming up in a few minutes. She took the muddy little road that led all the way back to the top of the hill and walked at a pace where Will couldn't really keep up with her. She started moving. Okay. But by now he knew her destination. This was the road the grave diggers sometimes used to get to the community cemetery. Ah. For the first time, he began to feel uneasy. Was she on her way to the graveyard? Just now getting uneasy? He was surprised to see the cemetery gate standing half open, and through it she went, only stopping to pull it closed behind her. He thought then she would see him for certain, but she turned, didn't seem to appear at all aware of his presence. She goes into the cemetery, steps a few feet in. He follows her and finds this large poplar tree, kind of gets behind it and starts watching as the girl walks over to a grave, and she just vanishes. Okay. Shocked, he doesn't really know what he's seen. He's not quite sure. On the way home, he he takes the main road. He sees a guy named Jake Jackson in his old truck, and he kind of, you know, waves him down. I'm on my way to set out a new load of Christmas tree seedlings you want to help. Will says, Jake, I need help myself. How about turning around? Well, I've got work to do. Where you want to go? To the cemetery. The cemetery? He's like, yep, you got a shovel in this truck? Sure do. Something in Will's expression made him turn around and they headed up the hill. When they reached the graveyard, Will went around to the back of the truck and got the shovel. Can you find another one? I just got this small one. Well, bring it along. They walk over to a freshly dug grave at the edge of the cemetery. Why, this is Isla Jeffers' grave. She died of fever only a few days ago. We can't go digging up her grave. Well, he's like, I got a good reason for this, Jake. Don't be squeamish. Just give me a hand. As the hole grows wider and deeper, they can hear a faint sound. They start digging faster, throwing up dirt furiously all around the edges of the grave. The sound keeps growing louder. It almost becomes a whimper punctuated by cries. When they reach the coffin, Will kneels down, tears the lid off the coffin. Holy shit. There in the coffin lay Isla Jeffers in a black dress, but she wasn't alone. In the crook of one arm rested the baby girl.
0: Okay. Lord
1: almighty, this baby's alive, cried out Will. The baby was crying, and those were the sounds the men had heard as they were digging. Will reached into the coffin to pick up the baby, and as he did, his fingers touched something else. Beside the mother's hand was the metal milk cup he had filled up that morning. What the hell? Are you kidding? So the baby was alive? Andrew Jeffers had not built a fire, nor had eaten anything in like two days. His girl Cindy, who had been visiting her aunt in West Virginia, had come home that night before and had been been pressing him to eat some of the food, you know, folks had brought after his wife and baby had passed. He was about to leave the little cabin when Mr. Jackson's truck rolls up. He recognized it as the Jackson Tree Farm truck. The men drove up near the porch, and when Andrew went out, he heard the cries of a baby. And he thought something strange was kind of carrying on, so he grows really angry. He thinks they're, like, messing with him. Oh, okay. Wait before you holler at us. Andy, we ain't meaning to hurt you none, Will Lyon said. We've brought you something. This is your own baby. Don't tell me how bad the Lord's done treated you now. It was a miracle, a real miracle, everyone said. And the story of the mother whose spirit somehow managed to return to care for her baby can still be heard in that part of the Tennessee mountains, not far from the North Carolina line. That's, that's a crazy story. That is a crazy story. Oh my gosh. So those are a few of the Appalachian ghost stories. Jeez. We may have another ghost story episode we put out here in a couple more days.
0: Wow, that was some good ones. Was it? Yeah, no. I think it was. You got the kind of weird, you know, Thomas Wolfe. Ha ha. He's still around his own house kind of stuff. Then you got that uh, scary one. I almost say it. The mine. Yeah, that one scared me. And then you have one that is happy in the end after being really weird.
1: That is really weird.
0: Yeah, but I mean, that's crazy.
1: That that little baby was still alive. That is crazy.
0: And she was reaching out for help because she wanted someone to save her little baby. Oh! And she wants some damn fresh milk.
1: That baby needs some milk.
0: The baby needs the milk oh okay so that was a little different it's a little uh, different yeah, than and, what we traditionally gonna,
1: do here at mountain murders we'll, now we're still on some weird facebook man it's been like two fucking weeks yeah I don't, facebook uh, yeah i they don't have, like, know suspended our page yeah we're not weird. showing anything we post
0: right and we miss you guys just we so do, you know we miss you there but
1: you can always find us on twitter and instagram
0: and we are there for the moment until, uh, yeah, they try to ban us on all social media because we have such good friends and family.
1: It's probably our fucking language.
0: It might be our fucking language. So uh, we're really excited about everything moving forward. And uh, we're going to do basically a content bomb all month long. We are. So most of it will be true crime. There will be a couple of departures here or there. I have a couple of things I'd love to discuss. I've been trying to get it work in there. Okay. A couple of weird things, you know, unsolved things. Just change. some
1: strange topics.
0: Yeah, just something a little different. But and we're gonna get back. We have some great true crime stories. We'll get back to that. We have some great ones. Some of them be two parters. We got some big ones.
1: Oh, big ones.
0: Uh-huh, yeah, and we have some big stories, too. Oh! oh. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah. forget, have- review that, y'all. We have oh. our
1: Mountain Murders live show, our very first live show coming up January the 18th. Tickets are now on sale. If you go to com, you can get a jump start. Buy your tickets early. They're going to cost you $10 online. If you wait till the day of the show, I think they're $12 at the door. Show is in Asheville, North Carolina at Fleetwoods, which is a really cool rock and roll wedding chapel slash bar slash like vintage store. Uh,
0: yeah. Are you kidding me? That's some great slashes there.
1: Oh, it's a really cool venue. I'm very excited. Yes. Thanks so much to Model Face Comedy and Melissa for booking the show for us. Yes. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be great. We've got some great cases that we're going to be discussing. We have a fun game we're going to play with the audience.
0: And we can't wait. You've got to
1: come out. We want to meet you if you're a Mountain Murders fan.
0: And yes, and don't forget, uh, if you want to hear more of us BSing and cussing, we have uh, lots of mini episodes and special things on Patreon.
1: That is true. You can sign up for as little as $1 a month. $1, guys. the podcast. Get a shout out on our show for at that dollar level. How cool is that?
0: That is awesome. We have
1: several different tiers, and you're going to have access to, like you said, exclusive content just for our patrons. And More true crime. More mountain murders.
0: More being silly.
1: More being silly.
0: And at the $10 level, our highest level, you get a VIP treatment at all our live shows as well as all the other cool stuff.
1: Well, there's that too. And just... To wrap things up, I watched a horror movie last night that I thought was pretty good.
0: I know. I thought I would
1: make a recommendation. You if made me go to fan. sleep. Midsummer.
0: All right, I'm gonna watch it's that. It's super
1: creepy. It's weird, but it was really good. I liked it.
0: Okay, Midsummer.
1: Yeah, you gotta check it out if you're a horror fan. I'm gonna recommend that right here on Mount Murders.
0: Okay, Mount yeah. Murders. Uh, uh, oh my God, that's very much like. Siskel and Ebert with Tourette's. Oh, my God. Let's
1: give it two stars.
0: Oh, I give it two middle fingers.
1: Tourette's. Hey, um, buddy, it's not it, T-U-R.
0: It's turrets.
1: Yeah. Like, what was it, a fucking gun turret?
0: And it even is misspelled what? to even be turrets.
1: Like I'm a, gu- I'm a goddamn gunner's mate now? Yeah. Just call me Petty Officer Gunner's Mate Hyatt. What the fuck, dude? Yeah,
0: here's a large millimeter shell coming oh, at your head.
1: Man, your battle station. I don't
0: even know how to say that. You got
1: a lot of F-bombs heading your way.
0: <laughs> Poo oh, We love you guys. We're going to love you all month.